Who is Jesus? You probably have an answer for that. Luke wants us to know, and he wrote his gospel to make sure we do know who Jesus is. So we have no doubts. And if you know who Jesus is, it's going to change your life. In Luke's account, this introduction, we're now shifting. He's been going back and forth between John the Baptist and Jesus. And now the focus begins to come totally on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Holy angels have told us that Jesus is God the Son. Saints, people filled with God the Spirit like Zechariah and Elizabeth, the shepherds and others have said that Jesus is God the Son. Jesus himself at age 12 said, I have to be in my father's house. He knew who his father was. John the Baptist now is, is speaking. He's the forerunner of Christ, and he's pointing people and saying, get ready because the Messiah is coming. He was preparing people to meet their God and their Savior. He was preparing them by asking them to admit that they needed a Savior. So now Luke adds to all these testimonies about who Jesus is. Heaven opens up. The Spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove, and God the Father speaks. We don't know who heard that voice. It might have just been Jesus and John the Baptist. If there were other people there, it wasn't clear whether they understood what was going on. But Luke wants you and me to know this. You may doubt. I don't know what you think about Jesus Christ. You may doubt or not be sure that he really is God the Son the Savior, the sent one. But be clear on this. The Bible's message is clear from Old Testament to New Testament. There was a consistent message separated by hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years, different writers, but they all say the same thing. A promised one is coming, and you'll know who he is because God will let us know. I have a question for you this morning. Does it surprise you that Jesus is baptized by John? We're told that John's baptism was an action taken by people who were, one, admitting that they were sinful and needed forgiveness. Two, they were humbling, asking God to help them turn from their sinful ways toward God. That's repentance, making a turn. So turning away from what was wrong and turning toward God. So without reservation, they would follow him. So why would Jesus be baptized by John if John's baptism was admitting that you were sinful? I thought Jesus was sinless. So why would Jesus be baptized? Well, God through Luke tells us about this event because he wants us to understand who Jesus is. He's God in the Christ, the Messiah, to clarify what Jesus came to do so that you and me, without reservation, will love and follow Jesus with all our heart, soul, and mind. So are you ready to follow Jesus a little bit more this week? I hope this message helps all of us do that. Do you know who Jesus is? Are you convinced he's the Christ? the Savior, the one who can rescue you from death to life. If you are convinced Jesus is Lord and Savior, 
then ask God this morning, God the Spirit, to move in, in your heart. That he would move in my heart so that we will be transformed into a holy people that obey Jesus regularly and happily. So we get a reputation that leans into godliness so that we're different. So whatever we say and wherever we go, that we're doing it for God's glory so that other people will say, I don't like them, but they sure are acting like a Christian should. So let's get started this morning. Who is Jesus? Well, if he is God the Son, first question, why is Jesus being baptized by John? Because John's baptism is for sinners. So why would Jesus, who's supposedly the sinless Son of God, be baptized? Well, Jesus wants to be clear that his mission is why he's baptized. I had... Uh, Bruce read from Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 3 at, at Luke's account. But Matthew writes that Jesus said to John, it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. That's why I'm being baptized. It's the right thing to do because by being baptized, Jesus is saying, I am identifying myself with sinners who are caught in the bondage and entrapped by sin. He came to identify with sinful people like me and like you so that we could be rescued, so that we could be purchased back and made God's children. Jesus stands with sinners as a redeeming friend and a savior. John MacArthur wrote, he could not purchase righteousness for humanity without identifying with humanity's sinfulness. So that's why Jesus was baptized. It shouldn't be surprised anyone, even alive during Jesus' day, that Jesus was baptized, that he identified with sinners. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53 wrote, hundreds of years before Jesus came, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was, he put him to grief. And then the Apostle Paul, with that same message, put a little differently in 2 Corinthians, writes, for our sake, that is, Jesus was made to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As I've studied through the Gospels, and I'm certainly not an amazing scholar, but I am impressed by Luke's account of Jesus's life because Luke, more than any other gospel writer, get this, Luke, more than any other gospel writer, makes sure we know that Jesus was happy to associate with people like you and me. Is there somebody you don't like to hang around with because you're embarrassed by them? <laughs> don't point, okay. I remember at a certain age that I started walking several feet behind my parents because I no longer wanted to be identified with them. I wanted to somehow separate myself from them. But Jesus loves loved and still does to hang out with people who are not his friends, 
yet. Zacchaeus, you know the story. Hurry, come down for I have to stay at your house today. I have to stay at your house today. And when they saw it, the crowds, they began to grumble. He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Jesus later on in that story in Luke chapter 19 said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He loves to be around sinful people. So by being baptized, Jesus, one, is identifying with sinful people and saying, I am here to help you, and that's why I came. It's also endorsing John's baptism. Back in Matthew chapter 21, later on in his ministry, Again, Jesus' enemies were confronting him. They were questioning his authority. So Jesus looked at them and he turned on them and he brought up John's baptism. And in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I'll tell you by what authority I'm teaching. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And of course, maybe you're familiar with the story. They talked about it. Well, if we say it's from heaven, he's going to look at us and say, well, then why didn't you believe it? And if, it, and if you say it's from just from the earth, from man, then we're going to get in trouble with the people because the people believe John was a prophet of God. So we're stuck. So you know what? They came back and they said, well, we don't know. Well, Jesus said, then I won't tell you where my authority comes from. What are your thoughts about Jesus's baptism? John's baptism was important. Jesus brought it up because he was identifying with people he came to rescue. So don't take baptism lightly. Next week we get to celebrate another baptism. That's an amazing thing. If you have not yet been baptized, made a public testimony of, the, of being a follower of Jesus, why is that? Are you afraid to be identified with Jesus? Are you afraid of Jesus? Or are you happy to be identified with him? I want you to know Jesus got baptized by John because he is happy to be identified with you because he came to rescue you. Baptism shows that you identify yourself as a sinner who needs to be rescued by God's power through Christ. The act doesn't save you. The water isn't magic. It doesn't make you a different person when you go down and come back up. It's faith that changes us, but obedience shows that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, so you get baptized. It's a declaration that you love Jesus and you're happy to follow him no matter where he leads you or whatever he asks you to do. It's a marker in your life that says, I am being transformed and changed, not by what I think, but by the power of God that's at work in me. Here's the amazing thing about this. Jesus. God the creator, he took on a human body to experience all its weaknesses and limitations. 
Jesus came and he accepted the false accusations that he was a blasphemer, that he was a God denier, that he was a God hater. He willingly took that on even though he was sinless, even though he was not guilty, to be identified with sinners so he could rescue us to make us holy children of God. I was thinking about the truth of that and and I don't even know that I totally get it. I don't understand the depths of God's love. But it made me think of an old hymn. I have some of the words posted for you. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. Assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Jesus was baptized to identify with you a sinner, so he could rescue you. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, you have a friend in heaven. Think about what that means. I don't know about your situation right now in your life. Maybe you're feeling happy and secure. Maybe you're feeling loved by the people around you. Maybe your friends are supportive and all you're going through and life's just kind of good. So you're not worried about the future. That's, That's great. But on the other hand, maybe your friends are failing you. Maybe you're widowed or a widower. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're new in the area. Maybe you're a stranger far from home. Maybe you go to school and you are friendless. I remember the pain of junior high and senior high going to the cafeteria for lunch and I had no friends there. And then you're looking around, is there someone I know that I can sit with so I don't look like some weirdo off by myself? Okay, that was Matt Meter issues, okay? but maybe you feel the same way at work or at school or in your neighborhood, alone. Maybe the future's unsettled for you. Maybe your family's not together. Maybe your job's hard. Maybe you don't, maybe you're treated poorly there. Maybe life is just sad. Maybe the relationships that are you in that are supposed to bring peace and bring security are causing more turmoil than hope in your life. I don't know where you are, but I do know this. Jesus knows all about it, and he is and wants to be your friend. Would you accept him and believe in him and trust in him for forgiveness and believe and find comfort and the strength that he promises to give you wherever you are because you will never be alone with Jesus? You have a friend in heaven. Think about the difference that should make in how we live. I spent a lot of time there. One more quick thought. In, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, finally get back to Luke, verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. Just have to make this quick comment. And Jesus was praying. Luke, again, is the one more than anyone else who emphasizes Jesus' prayer life. 
He's praying always before important events like his baptism as he's about to begin his public ministry. He prayed before choosing the 12 disciples. He prayed on the Mount of Transfiguration. He prayed in the garden before he faced the cross. It goes without saying that if the God, the Son, needs to have communion, needs to be close with God, God his Father, if he needs to have that kind of relationship, how much more do I and you, you and me, need to be listening and praying and talking with God and listening and pleading for his wisdom and waiting for an answer because we need his help. So here we are. What a mix of people. Take a look around. Go ahead. You can turn around if you're in the front row. Look at the people behind you. Yeah, take a look at that. What an amazing mix of people. Different ages, different heritages, different languages, different cultures, different life experiences. And God in all his wisdom has brought us together, great plans for his glory, to believe, to surrender to him, to help one another surrender to God, and then to plead with others to come and join us on this journey to glory, to meet our Savior. Matt Meter's a pretty calm guy. Like, she's teaching the kids, so I can say this. Leslie says, you know, I wish you'd show some emotion. <laughs> I do. I can get pretty upset. <laughs> but it's an explosion. But I am excited when I preach God's word, the truth that changed my life and I know has changed yours or can change yours if you will believe and trust Jesus Christ. Here we are, this mix of people. Take a look around. Yeah, we don't maybe look that impressive, but God is impressed. He's our friend if we believed in him and we can help one another move on to great things for God's kingdom. Jesus was baptized to be identified with sinners. We were his mission. He came seeking sinful people, so believe it and then let others see that that's your mission too, that he's your Lord and you want to follow him. Who is Jesus? Well, heaven tells us in verses 21 and 22 of Luke chapter 3, now when the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with you, I am well pleased. So Matthew and Mark also have versions of Jesus' baptism. Luke tells us it was more than a vision, this dove coming down. The dove actually came down in bodily form. And if other people were there seeing it, they probably didn't understand what it was. But Luke tells us it was God the Spirit coming down visibly to say, this is my son. This is God the Son. And then God the Father speaks. He gives Jesus his approval. He's the chosen one. He's sinless. There's nothing in him that bothers me because he's me. He's God. We're one together. So if you want to know God, you got to know Jesus. That's why we're studying Luke, so we can get to know who Jesus is and follow him better. By the way, John the Baptist, or excuse me, Jesus is not like 
any other prophet. He's not like Moses or Elijah. He's God, the anointed one. Back in Psalm, the second Psalm, God's speaking about his Messiah, his chosen son, the one he promised to send. And he says in verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, I would like to shout this in the halls of Washington, D.C. Be wise, O kings. I would love to go to Moscow and shout this in the Kremlin. I would love to go to every capital city in the world. Boy, that would be a lot of money and shout this to every leader. Now therefore, O kings and governors and congresswomen and men, etc., be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The psalmist is talking about Jesus Christ. Kiss the Son. Listen to Jesus. Ignore Jesus Christ at your own peril. We sang it this morning. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we're in the Son, we are set free. I love what Daryl Bach says. To know God, one must know the appointed one, the anointed one. In short, to be part of the kingdom, one must know the king. Do you know the King? God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together to save us. So be glad in the security that God gives us. Who is Jesus? Luke wants us to know. So he tells us about Jesus' baptism because he wants us to know why Jesus came. That he came to be identified with sinners so that he could rescue them. Luke wants us to know who Jesus is, so he, has, he records for us the story of the Holy Spirit coming down, this, this event in Jesus' life. The, the Father speaks and affirms and confirms that Jesus is the Son of God, the promised one that the world is, has been waiting for, that the world's still looking for, but he's come, and they're blind to it. Who is Jesus? His genealogy tells us. If you have your Bibles open, look at Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through the end of the chapter. I'm not going to read Jesus' genealogy because, number one, there's a lot of names I can't pronounce, and number two, you're going to fall asleep if you aren't already. But I want you to know this genealogy is here for a reason. Now, Matthew and Luke's list are different. Matthew starts with Abraham, the, the first Jewish man, so to speak, that God called out from the Gentiles and comes forward to Jesus. Luke starts with Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, his supposed father, and goes back all the way to Adam. So Matthew goes forward from Abraham on. Luke starts with uh, Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, and moves, moves all the way back to Adam. The names are very different. So that's confusing, and I won't go into all those details, but the names between Abraham and King David are, are very much the same. Then the names get very different, and there's a lot of explanations. One is that Matthew gives the legal line 
through David to Joseph, and Luke gives the bloodline through Mary since Joseph wasn't really Jesus's dad. There was no blood relationship there, but the truth is we don't really know why they're different. There's good explanations. But my point is this, or I think the key point is this. Why does Luke put this genealogy here? Because, he, again, he wants you and me to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He goes back to the first Adam. And who created Adam? God. And Jesus also becomes the second Adam. So there's a picture there. To emphasize that Jesus is the Son of God, to emphasize that Jesus was fully human, to emphasize that there were promises made to Abraham and David and other people in the Old Testament that Jesus has fulfilled because he's in their lineage. And to be clear that Jesus is superior and he's unique and there's no one else like him. Who is Jesus? I want to go back a few verses in Luke 3 to verse 15. People are coming to be baptized by John. And they were wondering if John was the Christ. In verse 16, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquestionable, with unquenchable fire. This is John's testimony. The Messiah is going to be greater than me. I'm baptizing you with water. I'm just baptizing you with a symbol of repentance, a symbol of cleansing, a symbol that says, yes, I believe I'm a sinner. I need to get ready because God's coming. I know there's judgment coming. I want to be ready. But Messiah is going to be different. He doesn't baptize with water. He baptizes with God himself. He sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. He's greater because only God can send the Spirit. He's going to be judging people. The promised Savior is coming to judge hearts. A winnowing fork is in his hand. Does anybody here, has anyone here ever used a winnowing fork? Of course not. We're in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I've never used a winnowing fork either, and I grew up near farms because that's not how you did it. Machines did all that, but you know, a, a winnowing fork was just a fork that they threw the wheat up in the air, they beat it, they would throw it up in the air, and the wind would catch the chaff and the straw and blow it away, and the heavier wheat kernels dropped down into a nice pile. So they would throw it up in the air, the wind would take the chaff and the straw, blow it away, and the wheat would drop down into a nice pile. So there they have the grain. What's Jesus going to do? When Jesus comes back as judge, he has a winnowing fork and fakers and unbelievers and doubters and those who pretended are going to get blown away and the wheat, the true believers, those who trusted in Christ as weak as they were but they depended on him for forgiveness, they're going to be in a pile and he's going to take them like a harvest and gather them and collect them and keep them safe forever in his kingdom, in his, in his kingdom barn, so to speak, to have the harvest with him. God the Spirit descends and says, yeah, you better listen to Jesus. 
He's the one. I'm empowering him. God the Father spoke and said, yes, he's my unique son. There's no one else like him. There will never be anyone like him. He's the only unique son of God, the only begotten. There's nothing unpleasing in him because he is God the Son. So Luke records all this introductory material for us so that you and I, without a doubt, know who Jesus is. So here's the question we have today. With or without Christ? Wheat or chaff? John the Baptist's message was filled with all kinds of good news, but there was a warning. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Deliverer is coming. Be ready. But if you're not ready... If you're not going to turn from your sinful ways, if you're not going to be identified with my message, then let you know this. You're going to be judged by unquenchable fire. That's a really uncomfortable picture. When do fires go out? Some of you might be firemen. Well, There's nothing left to burn. It's all burned up, so the fire goes out because there's nothing to burn. Or oxygen is taken away by water, or you smother it, and the fire goes out. But Jesus says his judgment for the chaff is going to be unquenchable fire. Never goes out because God eternal is the one applying the fire or the judgment. Have you ever heard of Centralia, Pennsylvania? Has anyone ever driven through? Yeah, a few of you. I've walked there. I live kind of a little old coal mining town that's now empty except for a few, a few residents holding on. They threw some, a dump. They dumped all their trash out of their little burrow and they put it to fire to clean up and some of the fire got down into a shaft where all these coal mines run underneath the town, and it started to burn the leftover coal seams that were still there. And you know what? Those fires are still burning. The smoke still comes out of some of the vent holes. They've tried to put it out, you know, cover the holes, smother it, but they just can't. And that's just a a weak picture, a small picture of what unquenchable fire, because the coal seams are still burning unquenchable fire. It's a difficult idea for me to grasp, but understand this, back to Psalm 2, kiss the sun or you will be judged. Follow the sun. I want to wrap up with this. Believer in Christ, I'm addressing you who have entrusted yourselves to Christ this morning. Consider what it means to be in Christ. Be wise and believe if you haven't, because you're either wheat that's going to be gathered or chaff that's going to be burned. For while we were still weak, it says in Romans 5, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's me, one of the ungodly people that God has died for himself to bring us to life. The merciful links that God did to come and rescue people like us. His mercy is unbelievable. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about the positions, the blessings you have because you are secure, not in what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Believer, take hold of this truth and use your new life in Christ to secure not only what you have, but then to help others find it as well. Dare to do, dare to be brave for Jesus. Live life with a flair. Don't be obnoxious, but just live confident that you are on the right path by God's grace and his mercy. Name some of the blessings that God has given you if you are a believer in Christ. I would like you to do that even just right now in your mind. Can you think of one thing besides forgiveness and eternal life? Okay, those are two givens if you're a follower of Christ. Those are great blessings. Name another one that you have because you are in Christ. Can you think of one? Can you think of two? You know what I'd like you to do today? on your way home in the car or on your walk home or sometime today with your family, talk about your position in Christ with somebody, the blessings that you have in Christ. You're called friends. I'll give you a few hints. You're no longer called what? Servants. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You're part of the body of Christ. You're the bride of Christ. You have a community You have a new purpose. You have a spiritual gift that God wants you to use for his honor and for his glory to spread the good news of the gospel. You have hope. Life is never going to end. You get a taste of God's goodness now. There's more to come. You have God's word to guide your life. Start naming the blessings you have in Christ and let it change how you live. Who is Jesus? He's the great Savior. His baptism confirms that for us, that he came to rescue us so that we can stand firm. Do you believe this? Then don't be afraid to let others see what you believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you humbled yourself so that you can make people like us holy and good and change us into new people that are transformed by the power of God so that you and your glory and your love and your mercy can be known. Oh, Lord, increase my faith. Increase our faith to trust you and to follow you so that others can understand and believe and be awakened so they don't have to fear your judgment, but they can look forward to meeting you face to face. Change our doubts. Make us secure so that we're happy to follow you wherever you lead us. We pray this in the name of Christ for your honor and glory. Amen.